This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. The Super Bowl is uh, February 1st, and we are making a special Super Bowl recipe. And we need your help. If you want to take part in this, uh, reach out to us. You can either call or email us at howto at npr.org, and we will call you back. Our phone number, if you want to do it that way, is 1-800-GAG-AX-5. That's 1-800-G-A-G-A-X-E, the number 5. That's, I don't know the rest of the numbers. Uh, the rest of the number is 0800-424-2935. That's what GAG-AX-5 is? That's what GAGX5 is. So uh, get in touch any of those ways. And uh, you should know you don't actually have to do anything. We just need to talk to you for a second. Uh, We'll be in touch soon. You you may have had this problem where you send an email you shouldn't have. Uh, Maybe you reply all uh, when you mean to send it just to one person. How quickly do you need to destroy your computer before that email goes out? Here's Teo Gray. Well, I think the problem with your average modern-day computer is that it's really, really fast. Yeah. And if it's just, you know, a simple text email that's, you know, just a paragraph or two long or whatever, even, you know, a couple pages long in terms of data size, that's minuscule. And, you know, it might literally be out of your house before your finger has left the button, uh, potentially. Okay. So... You know, you're 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 kind of in trouble, I think. And even if it's not that instant, you know, it's going to be a second or two. But if you're lucky, you included a bunch of really embarrassing photographs in there. Okay. And it's a great big email. You know, like it's a couple of megabytes of email. Well, is that uh, is that a viable technique though, or solution? Could you just have a signature that that you put and attach to every email? that is loaded with, like, a a video of some kind just to bog it down? Well, I suppose if you didn't mind annoying everybody that you ever send email to with giant, useless attachments... I'm okay with that. If you're using a laptop, you know, chances are you have a wireless connection, so there's nothing you can do there to stop that. Nothing? And there's no plug. Nothing nothing you could do in five seconds. Uh, Okay. You know, if you had a giant roll of tinfoil handy, you could try to quickly wrap your computer up with tinfoil, but... I don't think that would be the most effective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it might work, but it wouldn't be the fastest. Let's say I'm willing to destroy it. What method of destruction well, should I so use? I, I was thinking about this, but I think what I would do, like if I was really in a panic and just had no alternative, I would try breaking it over my knee. Oh. You know, in other words, I would just grab both sides of it and, you know, and, and push my knee up in the middle and see if I could just physically break it in half because you know your average modern laptop it's very thin and it's also something that i feel like you might actually do in a panic yeah you know, all, all of this stuff about you know wrap it in tinfoil quickly or whatever you're not going to think of that plus you know you, you're in a panic so you have sort of a superhuman strength yeah um that i, I think that would be my go-to panic method it's an interesting situation right because it it's rare that you're forced to put a monetary value on a human relationship. But, uh, you know, after you send that email, you shouldn't send. 
If it gets to that person, you're potentially destroying that relationship. So you're deciding, well, my computer is worth $900. I can destroy it to save that relationship, or uh, I can keep the computer and get, get rid of that relationship. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's maybe the moment of clarity where you realize just how much you care about that particular person. All right, well, thanks, Teo. Okay, thank you. Teo Gray is a columnist for Popular Science. You may remember last week we answered a question for Brian and his son Henry. It was about baby spinach. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You That wasn't the baby spinach segment at all. Brian and Henry have another question they need help with. You know, the kids, they're on the swim team, and so they always talk about how many laps they swam. And I swam when I was younger, and a lap was always down and back. You know, kind of like when you're running around a racetrack, you you finish where you start, and and that's a lap. Mm -hmm. And the kids, the, the whole swim team seems to have fallen under the false impression that a lap is a single length of the pool. So this is... And Henry's whistling in the background. It is. Uh, so, so this is really the question that it, it's a perpetual discussion that we can never get to the end of because both sides think they're right. And, of course, only I'm right. You know, I'm, I'm at, I'm at a, a standstill, a stalemate with uh, this argument. Can we, uh, if, if Henry's right there, do you, can, can we talk to him? Sure. Hold on a second. Hello? Hey, Henry. Hi. So this this debate, tell us tell us your side of the lap length swimming swimming debate. Well, my I when I was doing swim lessons as sort of like a three or four year old, they uh, my coaches always said do a lap, and we ended up doing only uh, twenty five meters across. Okay. So we only went halfway down the pool instead of go, going there and back. But then when they said two laps, we went there and back. So I sort of grew up to my age now that under the impression that a lap is only halfway across the pool. And how old are you now? Uh, Eleven. Okay. Well, we're, I think what, we're going to try and find a solution that um, satisfies both you and your dad and hopefully the, the coaching staff and teammates on your swim team. Mm-hmm. We can't promise you that it's going to be great great news for you okay all right <laughs> i'd be good with an answer to settle this yes okay well henry it was fun talking to you have a good day at school okay so i have to say i feel somewhat bad about this a lap is clearly down the pool and back i have no doubt about that a length is one way that's why it's called a length and not a lap we are going to get real expert confirmation though uh from natalie Coglin. She's a 12-time Olympic medalist, including three gold medals. So, Natalie, what can we tell these guys? 100% Henry is correct. The, the lap um, when in, in swimming refers to swimming from one end of the pool to the next. I understand the confusion, especially when you think of, like, a lap in, um, like, a race car uh, situation, you know, or a lap around the track um, where you think, you know, you're going in a circle. Um, but without a doubt, it's one end of the pool to the to the other. It's not back and forth? It's not back and forth. One Wh- lap is one lap. What so. do you, wait, but what do you call it when you swim? You swim, you start at one point, you swim across, and you come back to that 
same point that you started at. What do you call that? Um, well, usually we would go the distance of the pool. So uh, the typical distance of a training pool would either be 25 yards or 50 meters. So we would say that's either a 50 or that was 100, um, referring to the distance. This is counter to everything I've understood my whole life, and I've never been on a swim team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, heard it, I've heard it that way where, you, uh, where they say a lap is there and back, but I always found that to be 100% confusing, and no one on the swim team would ever say that. So a length of the pool. One length of the pool is also referred to as a lap. Wow. Wow. This, uh, this rocks our worlds here. It's crazy. <laughs> We were almost, we were convinced that Brian was right and that Henry was wrong. No, no, Henry is 100% correct. And, and, I mean, generally speaking, we do it by distance. So to, to get rid of all the confusion, we'll say 100 meters or 50 yards, um, things like that. But um, if you're, if you're going to use the terminology of laps, one end of the pool to the other. Well, now that, now that we know the truth, the, the, the answer, what do you... What do you want to say to Brian and Henry? Because this is going to change their relationship a lot. The kid is right. The dad is wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Henry. Um, your dad will eventually and sometimes be, be wrong. And in this case, he is 100% wrong. So, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Natalie, can we ask you an Olympics question? Of course. So, you've won gold medals, right? Correct. Do you ever just wear those? You know what? Um, I'm unique in that I've only worn my medals on the um, Olympic podium. Um, I'll, when I take my medals out, I'll allow anyone to wear them. But I don't know if I'd call it a superstition thing or what I'd call it, but um, I don't take photos wearing my medals. I don't wear them. Um, yeah, I've, n- I've never worn them um, other than on the podium. Have you ever met an Olympic athlete who has found a way to kind of accessorize an Olympic gold medal as a, a part of, like, a, an outfit? Oh, 100%. I, um, there, there are a couple occasions. Um, Josh Davis, he was an Olympian in 96 and 2000. Um, there's rumors that he, wears, he wore his gold medal when he took his uh, uh, driver's license photo, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, gotten him out of tickets. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, just swimming lore. Or if that's actually true, is that is that frowned upon? No, not. I mean, it's it's yours, and you should celebrate it. Um, and I, I think that's awesome. I just it must it must be more of a, a superstition thing for me. Um, but uh, when I do clinics or when I you know do go to like a charity event or whatever, I'll usually bring uh, some medals, and I'll I'll let whoever wants to wear them wear them. Like I did I did a I did an event with these kids before um, as a Make a Wish foundation thing and one of the girls wore my medal for an entire dinner um i was just worried that we're going to get pizza pizza grease on it but (laughs) um you know i think she really enjoyed it so i was cool with it i think yeah gold it'll wash off right yeah yeah it's just on the ribbon (laughs) well natalie thank you so much and um i hope that we haven't done too much damage to to brian and henry's relationship irreparable damage for sure Hey, Amy, what can we help you with? Well, um, a while ago when I lived in Chicago, friends of, I, friends of mine and I got in a big debate over dinner in a bar about um, the meaning of the phrase, a friend in need is a friend indeed. And we started debating first, well, it kind of depends on who the friend is. Is it a friend when you're in need? 
and that they're really your friend, or is it a friend who who themselves is in need, and then they're gonna they're gonna stick to you like glue. So they're gonna be your friend indeed because they're not going anywhere. So we started debating that. So is it is it hopeful or is it cynical? So we got completely confused by this, and it, this is probably gosh, nineteen twenty years ago. Okay. And, I, wow. and I stopped using the phrase because I have no idea what it means. Yeah. You, know, you, you see it or you hear it someplace, and you think, oh right, that old old chestnut. Do you want to do you want to take a bet on what you think the the correct uh, meaning and wording is? You know, I bet my I think my conclusion is that it was meant cynically that a friend who is in need is going to really be your friend. They're really going to stay close to you. Um, but I think it's come to mean the hopeful thing. That would be my guess. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, I think yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it's cynical. Yep. Someone who's desperate is going to be your friend. <laughs> All right, Amy, we're going to we're going to see what we can do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Hello, professor? Yes, hello. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks. Should we uh should we call you uh Professor Meter, Dr. Meter, Wolfgang? You can call me whatever you like. Uh my the the, the maybe the more German way would be Wolfgang, but uh, uh but otherwise I don't care. No. We will we will attempt that. Yeah, you 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 use whatever you want. Uh, who, who are you, Mike or Ian? Uh, my name is Ian, <laughs> and and Mike is here too. Hi there. Good morning. Okay, hi. Wolfgang Meter is a professor of folklore and German at the University of Vermont. So, Wolfgang, uh, do you have any answer for Amy? The problem with the with that proverb is that. It is elliptical. In other words, it's leaving out certain words. Then, in addition to it, proverbs like to be poetic, so they want to have a little bit of an, a rhyme and parallelism and so on. But anyhow, uh, let's look at it this way. There's a friend, or you have a friend, okay. in need. So what, what is meant here elliptically is a friend when you are in need. In other words, if I have trouble, it's darn good to have a friend. And then is a friend indeed, is a friend, and that last indeed, spelled as one word, means a real or a true friend. So what you really have is to have a friend when you are in need is to have a real friend. Would another way of saying it be when I'm having a hard time, right? the person who sticks with me, that's, that's, a, right. that's a good friend. That's a good friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's positive. It's a good thing. Oh, it's, oh, it's an absolutely positive proverb. Okay. Well, I think that, that settles it then. So it's a positive statement. It's not a cynical judgment about needy people. No, no, it really isn't. Well, Wolfgang, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Well, well it was my pleasure, and, 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 and have a nice day, and, and best regards to Amy and your other listeners. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. We got an email from Jane. Jane says she listens to How to Do Everything while feeding her six-day-old baby. Jane, these next 15 seconds are for you. Mommy had a little baby. There he is, fast asleep. I guess this means that uh, Jane's baby is listening, too. Hey there, fella. How's it going? I guess you don't say how's it going to a baby. You can. Why can't you? It's it, from what I can tell, it's always either going 
terribly or asleep. Yeah, because of the crying. Yeah, they're never like, eh, fine. You know what, Ian? I'm feeling a little, uh, little ennui today. Baby has a deeper voice than both of us. Now is the part of our show where we talk about our sponsors. How to do everything is happy to have TaxAct.com is one of the sponsors this week. TaxAct has helped people file their taxes for over 10 years. It's a long time to file your taxes. They also offer additional services, including auditing and email support. TaxAct will guide you every step of the way. Enter in your name. Enter in your spouse's name. Surname. Enter in your social security number. Enter in your address. Enter in part two of your address. If there is one. Enter in your zip code. One, federal wages. TaxAct will allow you to pause and finish filing at any time and guarantee a maximum refund. Go to taxact.com slash how to get started. TaxAct. Easy, fast, free. If you listen to NPR podcasts, you've probably heard about Invisibilia. Do not listen to Invisibilia. That's the only way we can ensure that you won't learn that expectations can have a surprising effect on the people around you. You won't hear that if you don't listen to Invisibilia. Whatever you do, avoid the story of neuroscientists who explain the profound effect others' expectations can have on your physiology. And I cannot stress this enough. You'll want to avoid the story of a blind man who says expectations have helped him see. Now, if that wasn't warning enough, then heed these words. This show was created by the people who also created This American Life and Radiolab. Whatever you do, don't subscribe to Invisibilia on iTunes now. Don't go to iTunes at all, uh, just to be safe. iTunes is where it is, so do not go there. You could click on it accidentally. You're going to want to avoid that. If you can't help it, at least avoid it when the new episode drops on January 23rd. Stay away on that day. Uh, we, you've been warned. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that uh, when you send out an email that you shouldn't send, uh, you, you really have very few options. I think you're done. I think that, you know, if you send an email, you quickly smash your computer with a hammer to try and stop it from getting out. Even if you don't stop the email, you've solved some problem. You've, you know, you've kind of punished yourself for sending an insult to another human being. I wonder if you could also just say, yeah, I don't know what happened with that email. My computer has been acting funny. And then you show them the smashed computer. Yeah, could you tell me what's wrong with it? There's two problems with my computer. It's completely shattered and it's sending out really articulate but insulting emails to people I'm supposed to care about. Yeah, I don't know. It's broken now. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Jeanette Harris-Courts. Thanks, Jeanette. Thanks, Harris-Courts. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. That's also where you should email us if you want to take part in our Super Bowl recipe extravaganza and also we are taking part in the third coast festival's podcast therapy event on sunday january 25th that's at the hideout bar here in chicago yeah uh, it's we are mike and i and jillian will be out in the real world we're supposed to dress like our podcast 
So if you have any ideas for that, we would love to hear because we got we have nothing. That's from 6 to 7.30 at The Hideout this Sunday, January 25th. For tickets, you can visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. We should also say it's also just a bar where you can have a normal drink and you don't have to hang out with nerds like us. You could just yep. go there, happen to run into us. and We'll never know because we're not there usually yeah. on Sunday nights. We'll so just assume you're always there. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. This message comes from NPR sponsor Spectrum Business, who knows small businesses need a great network to succeed. Switch to Spectrum Business and get faster internet and advanced phone with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit business.spectrum.com slash reliability.